Welcome back to One Day Closer with Mark and Dave. We are having a good time talking about the things that we're thankful for. We're remembering the uh, people and the times in the past where people struggled, where people created things that made our lives comfortable, and they took the light into the darkness. We are talking about the pioneers now. We just got done with the pilgrims. We're going to talk about some pioneers and the kind of character they had. Uh, Some of these pioneers you might remember, like Daniel Boone forging his way through the Appalachians and, you know, finally making his way down to uh, the Alamo where he met his demise. He was a great pioneer. There were many others that came along the way. And Dave's going to share a story about the Mormon pioneers, believe it or not. They were part of the Oregon Trail early on. And then later on, in the 1880s or so, Mm -hmm. uh, they they had a fantastic story about how they settled. That's right. You know, so in addition to Davy Crockett and Lewis and Clark and Mm -hmm. all the gold rushers, those are all pioneers. Yes, they are. What's unique about this story is that some of the other pioneers made their decision with faith and courage and fortitude, but they were serving themselves. They were going out to look for gold, trying to find oh. a, a job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted some free land. <laughs> trying to make a name for themselves. Yeah, they wanted free land, right, far yeah. and away. But in this particular case, this is called the Hole in the Rock. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this story. It's actually surprising how many Utahns how much they don't, don't even know. know about their own history. Yeah. But this story is about the Hole in the Rock Pioneers. So about 140 some odd years ago, so 1800s, 1880, 250 undaunted Utahns. Is that how you say that? Sure. Um, Sounds good. Answered a call with faith. And they set out on this impossible journey that took them through some of the most desolate and rough terrain on the North American continent. Right? So Utah. Don't go there. No, no. Uh, Rough terrain. No, that's Utah. Yeah, right. So the Hole in the Rock Expedition, or better known as the San Juan Mission. Mm -hmm. So now I've got California's attention. All right. San Juan. Everybody knows about San Juan. San Juan Juan Mountains. San Juan Mountains. Uh, As it came to be known, is the story of Mormon pioneers who answered a call to go to the Four Corner area. Four Corners is where New Mexico, Utah... Colorado. Not uh, far come, from the Grand Canyon. There you go. Come together. Uh, so that's called the Four Corners. So southern Utah to serve as a buffer between lawlessness and civilization. So no money. Not a gold thing. I want you to go down there and you're going, say what? All right. So here, listen to the story. They settled the uh, community of Bluff. B-L-U-F-F. Bluff. You <laughs> It'll make sense in a minute. Uh, but they settled Bluff <laughs> and other surrounding communities in which uh, is now considered San Juan County. Okay. There was a lot of white men, then bad, bad white men. Uh, cattlemen looking for grazing land and miners just blowing into town, you know, into the boom town. <laughs> Literally southern Colorado. Yeah, right. Into <laughs> southern Colorado. Um, you know, they were looking for a way to get away from the law. Some you know, probably were, Break yeah. the law, yeah. take some land, steal some horses, right? So there was that bad characters. Yeah, we're not talking now. about them. Yeah, we're not <laughs> talking about character. We're talking about characters had, had <laughs> infiltrated the land. And so they were threatening to clash with the Native Americans. 
So the army was concerned. They talked to the pastors in the area. And so they said, we're afraid that we're going to have another Indian war. Ah, Hmm. we don't want that. So these saints, Mormon pioneers, went forth not for money or personal gain. Unlike the earlier pioneers, which we mentioned, these guys were on a mission. This group lived. Now, this is interesting about this group. They were asked by the Mormon church, basically, to, to, to do this activity. Okay. The, like starting a mission. Like 250 Yeah, 250 Mormons, people, right? Okay, asked um, by the church, blessed by the church. That's okay. right. So this group was not the uh, misfits <laughs> of the Mormon church. Oh. No. These were leaders. These were prosperous oh. Mormon communities. They weren't they the ones they were trying to get rid of. No, no. They, <laughs> these were their, their these were their elite. These was their best, right? The best and brightest. Um, wow. They they had comfortable homes that they were asked to surrender. Wow! Right? They ran successful businesses. Hey, do you mind putting that on hold? We need we need a little help down in the four corners. Wow! To just go stand against lawlessness and stand for civilization. Uh, even more astonishing than that, they took their families. This wasn't just a. a, oh. a, a not for not just the boys. Not just the boys, right? Riding <laughs> down there. One in five in the company, out of the 200 and some odd, one in five were children under the age of six. Oh, my gosh. That's 50 kids under six. Yeah. Wow. They can't really carry much, (laughs) you know, but we take them anyway. Yeah. Now, they went because they were called, right? Not only did the church kind of say, hey, we need a little help down here Mm -hmm. or, or down there. Somebody needs to go make a stand. They went because they felt called and because they believed that the call was from God. They went because they believed it was necessary for the safety and good of the overall community. Hmm. Mormon community, Utahans, Coloradians, New Mexicans, you know, I mean, everybody in the corners. Somebody needs to go and stand for community and for Civility. Civility, thank you. As a matter of fact, the University of Utah's historian, this is where I got this story, David Miller. Now, by the way, I got this story, but I've been here. Mm. I I, I did this route. You know it's real. In my four-wheeler, where I'm allowed to reduce the air pressure in my tire so that when I'm going (laughs) over all of the washboard, I did four and a half hours of washboards. Oh, my God. Anybody that's ever gone, you know, four-wheeling or in a wagon, I don't know if there's anybody that old. With no um, suspension. With no suspension. <laughs> um, I'm not kidding about the um, uh, the washboard. <laughs> For four and a half hours, it'll drive you nuts. Oh. Um, but anyway, uh, in all the annals of the West, all the examples of courage, tenacity, ingenuity, you'll hear about that in a minute, there's no better example than the Hole in the Rock expedition of the San Juan uh, mission. No pioneer. A uh, company ever built a wagon road through wider, wilder, rougher, more inhospitable country. I've been there. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. If you ask my wife, she'll tell you, never again. I bet you never saw a tree, that, did you? No. There's tree? no trees down there. There's no tree down there. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's one of these regions that a lot of people don't know about. There was more courage, faith, and devotion displayed during this event than ever before. They cut a wagon road across the Escalante Desert. That's the bumpy thing I was telling you about. All the way for the four, four and a half hours, took a, well, a long time, you'll find out, to a cliff in the mountain, a cleft. And on the other side of that cleft was the Colorado River Gorge. 
right? Oh. Which today overlooks Lake Powell. Oh, okay. Everybody knows Lake Powell. That's where we go boating. Right. Right? This narrow crevasse, they called the Hole in the Rock. So when they got there, been going on this flat land forever, on a washboard. It was a big wall, wasn't it? Everybody's teeth have already fallen out <laughs> from, the, from the clanging and the chattering. They hit solid rock. And so the only way down was uh, there was a little crevasse, like I said. They blasted the sides of this thing okay. to make it wider oh. with the idea of if we could make it wider, we can get the wagons down. Okay. Okay. So they start this project. But little did they know that when it was all done, it would have a breathtaking 45 to 50 degree angle down. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's, that's a pretty... That's a, that's a pretty steep decline. That's really steep. No handrails. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in order to descend through the narrowest part, they had to blast out these walls, and they took the blasting uh, material material, and tried to lay it down to where it was more like a slide. Wow. You know, to, okay. to fill in the, you know, the cracks. Right. To make it smooth, because you got a wagon now that's four, four and a half feet wide, heavy wooden wheels and two horses on the front and all the pots and pans clanging around. That's what's going on. And they're going down a 50 degree incline. For like four. For how far? Go ahead and ask me. 1,700 foot drop. Whoa. Okay. So you're way up here. 1,700 foot drop. That's 17 stories. Picture a... Mm. Yeah. skyscraper on the 17th floor going hey honey it's your turn you're up <laughs> take the wagon don't let go of the reins right i mean she'd say i'm divorced and forget it i'm gone i'm out of here uh right but it was a 1700 foot drop and 80 wagons that's how many went down 80 mm. wagons went through this cleft down to the river below not in a crash and burn they went one at a time not one wagon was lost and there were only a couple animals that got injured. No, no animals died. No people died. That's amazing. Um, the most remarkable achievement um, ever done, right? And not only when they got down, they went on to do Red Rock Country in the Colorado River and went all the way over to the San Juan River trying to start community. Uh, so what was supposed to take six weeks, hey, we need you guys to volunteer just for six weeks and then you can come back. Took six months. Liars. <laughs> Liars. You can never trust those guys. But uh, anyway, I've been on this thing, and I'm telling you, I was allowed to, uh, we were able, because if I'm an off-roader enthusiast, right? So I just let the air out of my tires down to about 10 pounds. Wow. Which gives you a real soft cushion. Oh. Even then, it was bad. And so I took pictures. I sent you the pictures, right, of the wagons mm-hmm. coming down. So the first couple of wagons didn't really know much, right? Hey, Bob, you want to go first? <laughs> So that was the guy that said, yeah, here, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> hold my Wait beer. Wait a minute. These are Mormons. Uh, here, hold my uh, hold my wine. Uh, I don't know what it was, but that guy goes down, and he's got both horses in the front and hadn't thought about a brake system. Mm. So about halfway through this exercise, some of the people went, ding, 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 ding. I got an idea. Here, I got an idea. Uh, I'm going to take one of my horses off the front. I'm going to put him on back and let him serve as a drag. Like yeah. a break. Nice break. Yep. Right? So that's how they all got down. One wagon at a time. And then when they hmm. got down to Lake Powell, mm-hmm. right, Lake Colorado River, made camp and then carried on. Wow. I mean, think about that. Yeah, that's a crazy story. Six months 
of being on a buck wagon with very little cushion. Maybe maybe you had grandma's quilt under your butt. Yeah. But that's a rough road. Seventeen hundred feet down. That's amazing. They didn't crash and burn. That's cool. It, it, not one. All right. So you know a lot of lot of inspiration there. Well, we'll return with some more stories. Ooh. Everybody needs freedom. Somewhere to lay their heads when it gets to be too much. Got enough time to last. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, one day closer with Mark and Dave. So we just told a little story about all the pioneers, pilgrims, pilgrims, pioneers. Mark, you're going to talk to us about the settlers. Well, when we think of settlers, we often think of the people on the Oregon Trail. 39, 1839 was the first wagon train that crossed, uh, started in Missouri and went to uh, the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Then it continued on until the first transcontinental railroad was built in uh, 1869, I believe that was. So imagine just taking the call to walk across the country. Most people did not ride in the wagons because the wagons were full of food and tools and utensils for cooking and stuff like that. So unless you were grandma or maybe the three-year-old and somebody driving the wagon, everybody else is walking. They were all walking beside the trains. I think that's where the that, wagon that trains. song came from. These boots were made for walking. Uh, no, that's a that's yeah. a that came later, that's right? a '60s rebellion well, thing, whatever, buddy. Whatever. <laughs> all right, maybe that's the first version. So I have I have some interesting information on that. the uh, The Oregon Trail was officially 2,170 miles. It took you two to four months to cross, and you the fastest you could go was maybe about 15 miles a day. Uh, you could walk faster than that, but with the animals. The kids getting out of getting unruly and wandering off, you know. It fifteen miles was a good day. Oh, you had to hit all the sightseeing, right? Had to... Yeah, none of that was going on. No slurpees there, no. No, in fact, it was quite boring. We have a rich history about all that, and there's lots of books on it. And a lot of people talked about how boring it was. Oh, well, that's why those books never sold because people <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> hey, that reminds me, I have some clips from a play I once saw a long time ago. And the actors and actresses uh, read some letters from the Oregon Trail, literally, the, the real letters. And so they dramatized it and put some music in it, and it sounded kind of cool, and I thought I'd share it. Today we set foot in Oregon Territory, the land of promise. As of yet, it only promises an increased supply of sagebrush and sand. Theodore Talbot, August 22, 1843. Counted as many as 500 graves along the North Platte. Cholera lasted usually but a day. Many with beds and blankets were abandoned by the roadside. No man dared touch them for fear of the unknown, unseen destroyer. Oscar Hyde, May 2nd, 1850. Isn't that cool that uh, we can actually read and hear the language and the words and the culture even from people who helped build this country and i will share a couple more of those later on back to the boredom of the oregon trail if you've ever walked or driven across southern wyoming kansas or kansas nebraska yeah well kansas at least has some nice rolling hills but southern 
Oh, Wyoming. No, Kansas which, does not have any nice rolling hills, okay? They don't? That's Missouri. Uh, Kansas okay. is just like, seriously, where's my gun? <laughs> oh, no, no. It's better than that because what's worse is the southern part of Wyoming. It's just sagebrush. That's true. The eastern part of Oregon is just sagebrush. The southern part of Idaho, you know, south of Boise now, is just sagebrush. It is dull, boring riding. So that was an issue that they had. But they still pressed on. The trail was hot and dusty. There were about 400,000 people who traveled the Oregon Trail. About 4% of those people died. Now, before you say 4%, that's not so much. Well, that's sixteen to 20,000 people died. And if you divide that into the mileage I just gave you, Towards the end of the Oregon Trail, you saw nine to ten graves for every mile that you traveled. Lots of people were dying. The biggest killer was disease, of course. You'd kind of expect that. Cholera was the big one. Mm-hmm. But they were also dying from a lot of accidents. I'll bet by the end of the trail, they were all kind of going a little bit of mad. Some of them were mad. And that was one of the things that was not uncommon. I have a story here of this gal named Elizabeth Markham. She almost made it uh, to the end of the Oregon Trail when she decided she just didn't want to go any further. I'm going to sit right here. (laughs) Go on without me. So her husband and the kids basically said, all right, have it your way. And they started walking off and they left her there. Left his wife behind. Yeah. After a while, of course, he felt bad and he sent the son back to get her, the oldest son, when she saw him coming, she feigned like she was glad to see him, and she ended up beating him with a club to death. She beat her son to death. She beat her son to death with a club. For coming back. Yes, to get her. And then she decided, well, I'm going to catch up to the wagon train, and so she goes and catches up, and she tells the husband what happened, and and the husband's like, oh, my God. And so he goes back to get the son to see how bad it is, and it was bad. He ended up dying. The son did. And so when by the time the, uh, the father and the husband return back to the wagon train, she had burned one of the wagons on purpose, intentionally. And all this was because basically she just went freaking mad. Yeah, she did. She just went mad. I had no idea that's where you were going with that story. But yeah, she's, she's a wacko. Yeah, she was a wacko. So I would have left her behind too, probably. I think I would have left her in Missouri. If <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was not uncommon to have that kind of a thing happen. As uh, we alluded to earlier, the Native Americans were actually very helpful and very friendly. They helped with directions. They helped with food. And they were also very interested in trade. Now, think about this. The Native Americans had still had not, and they really never did, learn how to take minerals and ore out of the ground and create things out of metal. So they loved to trade for knives. They would love a knife. You know, you got a knife on you and we'll give you some food and we'll give you this deer over here. So they were very interested in trade and they were very helpful. It's not at all like the Hollywood depicts it, you know, especially the old Westerns on TV and stuff where every uh, Native American was a savage. It wasn't like that at all. Hmm. That can, it kind of came later With some of the tribes especially, but it's not so much because of the attitudes or the aggression of the Native Americans. It's mostly because, like we talked about earlier um, last week, the white people were being jerks. And they wanted other people's stuff. And they couldn't leave themselves alone. So 
that's that's how that ended up going bad. But in the beginning with the Oregon Trail, it was all uh, very cooperative and very nice. So uh, sometimes uh, because of the cholera and the disease, uh, a lot of times uh, children were orphaned, and sometimes the older children often just were left to fend for themselves. The younger children were sometimes adopted, especially by missionary families who were uh, traveling along the Oregon Trail with them. So just just imagine. Just wrap your mind around that. You, you gotta your... use your imagination. We are so addicted to TV and movies and all this stuff that basically replaces our imagination. So just close your eyes and imagine how tough it would have been to walk into a wilderness. You know, maybe you got a late start. So by the time you're crossing the Continental Divide in Wyoming or the Blue Mountains in Oregon, it's so cold you got to you got to find the dogs and, and put them on top of you at night. Like this letter tells us. Tonight we spread a shawl on the ground, spread another over us, and then put the dogs on top. Tyler, Barney, Tracker, and Little Cash. It was the coldest night you ever saw, and if it hadn't been for the dogs, we would have frozen. Patrick Breen, September 16, 1847. This afternoon it clouded up and turned cold. It looked slightly like freezing to death, now slightly like starving to death, very much like being blowed away in a hurricane and a good prospect of being killed by Indians. To say nothing of dying for want of tobacco. E.S. McComas, August 10th, 1862. In thinking about that, the hardships would have killed 95% of today's snowflakes. And I probably put myself in that category. And then... Once these settlers find their new home, you still had to dig the wells. You still had to cut the wood. You had to till the land. You had to mine the ore. You had to invent all these machines to do that. You had to build the factories and the towns. You know, you could engineer some railroads and some waterways. And then eventually you start connecting the power grid. And then you even paved the roads and you replaced horsepower with engine power. Eventually, you even invent machines that defy gravity. Mm -hmm. All of that was to make our lives more comfortable, and we just want to reflect on that and be thankful for it. That eventually, in uh, 1862, Lincoln actually signed a uh, basically a land grant program where the government would give you some of this land, and so they gave away land on the condition that you would grow food. They would give you a square mile. You know how many acres that is? It's square. It's square, but it's 640. I knew that. Little squares. 640 acres for the promise of just, well, I'll, I'll plant a garden. <laughs> <laughs> you better be planting more than that. So a lot of people took them up on that, and uh, that's how uh, we kind of went west. That's how we settled. What do you think it took to be a, a settler? We talked about courage and faith and determination and persistence, and but, you know, a lot of loss, kids... Right, got left behind because they just Sometimes. just literally couldn't walk any further. Think about that. You got your kids, six of them, and you're planning on wherever you park. It's the kids that are going to help you work the land. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you lose half of them. Yeah, you were the la- they were the labor force. <laughs> they were the labor force, and 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 you lose one or two from cholera or whatever, and one of them falls under a wheel. Gets that was smashed, a common right? thing. Yeah, and um, one of them gets left behind because he just. You know, you get sick. Oh, yeah. But the wagon train's moving, and I can't. I can't go alone. 
So we're going to leave him here with the orphanage. Right. Right. That would change a lot of stuff. Changes your motivation, don't you think? Yeah. I was going to do this with my family. Now it's you and daughter Sue. That's 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 what you got left out of eight. Mm-hmm. Is two. Y- you know what else it took for that's these determination. people? Determination. It it also took uh, like the song just said that we started this segment with. It said uh, everybody has to have a dream, and a lot of these people uh, there in like nineteen or I'm sorry, eighteen forty. There was a, a pretty severe recession in America, and so they just thought, well, let's go west, you know, and start over. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. And they had a dream. So uh, let's uh, talk about this some more when we get back. We're going to come back on the technology side. Our fathers got the author of liberty. To thee we see. Freedom. Mm-hmm. 